Rick, you've got to help me. Rick, Rick, you've got to save me. We can all do it. No, you can't. I have a dream. This nation will rise up. Live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Have you taken a step sooner before parents got to these shelves and, and couldn't find formula? If we'd been better mind readers. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson. He's back. Rob Long, he's gone. I'm James Lilacs and I'm here. Today we talk to Yoram Hazoni about conservatism. Let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody, to the Ricochet Podcast, number 594. Hey, good idea here. Join us at ricochet.com and be part of the most stimulating conversations and community on the web. It's cheap. You can help us, well, you know, extend our podcast streak into the thousands if we last long enough. I'm James Lilacs, Minneapolis, and I'm joined by my first guest, Peter Robinson. I, I'd, I'd say co-host, but, you know, you, you, you've been gone for so long that I think at this point you have to earn your status back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Welcome. Where you been? Thank you. I have been all over the place, but the biggest part of the trip, the biggest part of my absence was about 10 days in Israel for the first time in my life. Have you been? I haven't. I'd like to. Um, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show when we catch up on your thoughts there. Um, and we'll also talk about, Rob isn't here, by the way. Rob is off somewhere in some undisclosed location, sunning himself, uh, recuperating from the uh, the rigors of the bar crawl that Ricochet hosted last week in New York. And we had another event coming up, too, we'll tell you about in just a second. So we'll leave that at the end of the show. Now, of course, people want to know instantly, what do we think about things? Well, what are the things, Peter? What things have happened? And what do you think about them? Specifically, let's say uh, there are some primaries, and if people who are absolute political junkies are watching uh, the returns, the results, the tea leaves, the entrails, do you take anything from this, or is it a fool's errand to try to tease wisdom out of uh, just an isolated series? Of sure. What 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 I take from it? What do I take from it? What I take from it is that Donald Trump's endorsement is not a slam dunk for a candidate any longer. J.D. Vance won in Ohio. The Republican won the Republican primary in Ohio. What was that? <clears throat> 10 days ago, something like that. 10 days or two weeks ago, he was endorsed by Donald Trump. It looked as though he got at least a little bit of a bump out of it, but not that much because he was already moving up in the polls when Trump endorsed him in Pennsylvania where they're going to have to count all the absentee ballots. It's going to take another couple of days to get it done. It looks as though Trump's endorsed candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz, the television doctor, by the way, I know a couple of people who know Mehmet Oz, and apparently he's, he's a remarkable person and a thorough and genuine conservative. Um, in any event, he's only a, a thousand votes ahead of the non-Trump-endorsed candidate, David McCormick, an impressive person, former Rhodes Scholar, very rich man after running a hedge fund. Um, and So the Trump endorsement, and in Georgia next week, it looks as though Trump's unendorsed candidate, uh, Brian Kemp for governor, gubernatorial, running for the GOP nomination for governor of Georgia, is going to crush David Perdue, the candidate that Trump has endorsed. It looks as though Kemp is running something like 25 or 30 points ahead of Perdue in the polls. So there we have 
some assistance from a Trump endorsement in Ohio to a wash in Pennsylvania to no help at all in Georgia. So that looks like a wash overall to me for the continuing relevance of Donald Trump. On the other hand, the Republican candidates are all sounding, let's put it this way, the pre-Trump Republican Party is not making an appearance anywhere in these How would you define that? Primaries. What, what issues and what stances would you define that as? I would define the pre-Trump GOP as not particularly concerned about the border. All the candidates now are concerned about the border. Not particularly concerned about what tr trade with China did to American workers, all the Republican candidates are very concerned with jobs here at home. I would, so those are, if, those are changes. I would agree and disagree. I think maybe before they used to feel required to make noises about the border. Now, they may not do anything when they get in there. They may turn right around to the Chamber of Commerce and say, all right, guys, marching orders, please. But they had to make noise about it. Uh, but I think you're right about China. I think that that wasn't an issue before and is now. Uh, so we'll see. Is, is Are there more issues than that that you can see, um, uh, Trump-wise? Does, does national security seem to play... A role in this anymore if we used to look to the gop as being the party well, of the we, strong have, we have something coming up right away that'll the, in fact our guest will i won't want to ask our guest about this yoram hazoni who's going to join us in just a moment finland and sweden have both petitioned for membership in nato mm -hmm. and just days later days after they formally petitioned nato for membership i think only 48 hours later both the prime minister of finland and the prime minister of sweden turned up at the white house where joe biden endorsed their membership in nato and this is a pretty interesting question. It looks as though the Biden administration is expecting this to skate through the Senate mm -hmm. without any discussion, certainly without opposition. But here's the question. Finland has a border of over 800 miles with Russia. And if, my, if I recall my history correctly, Finland has been at war with Russia three times in the last 150 years, most mm -hmm. recently during the Second World War, outright shooting war with Russia. And in recent decades, NATO, whatever you say about NATO as a defense pact, it has for sure represented a mechanism for permitting the wealthy publics of Europe to free ride on the American taxpayer. So here's a question. If Finland joins NATO, the United States immediately agrees to defend 800 miles of border with Russia. But what the Finns get out of it is the full might of the United States of America. Question, what do we get out of it, and is it worth it? Further question, will that even be raised? Will it be deb debated in any rigorous way at no. all? In no, I don't think so, because I think it will be, it will be swept in. Um, on a wave of emotion that has followed Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that that uh, obviously Russia is an aggressive nation. And so if these guys are petitioning us for help, the whole big move, the whole big swing from heart to head is to oppose Russia. Um, and, you know, good. I'm not in favor of giving Putin an inch of slack. But you're right to ask those questions. You're right to point out that they probably won't be answered. The interesting thing, though, is that supposedly this whole war in Ukraine started because uh, Russia feared being encircled by NATO right. with uh, the Ukraine membership. Ruski Lazarov said, uh, Lazarov said the other day that uh, the admission of Finland and Sweden is, is no big deal. Uh, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Which sort of puts a lie to the idea that they're panicked about being surrounded. Look, we're... Uh, 
NATO was Lazarov, not, the, the Russian yes, foreign minister, yeah. said that the other day. I missed yeah, that no completely. Big, no, no, big, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, NATO is, is, is not there to invade Russia. Rus- NATO is there to keep Russia from reaccumulating the parts of Europe that it believes uh, belong within its own borders. So, yeah, they may have been fighting with Finland, but whether or not they regard Finland as the same sort of Russian, as, as something that belongs by history and by God's will to Russia, it being full of true Russians, I don't think so. I don't know, know enough to say. But if they try that, they're going to find that, as in the Ukraine, there are people who believe themselves to be quite distinct from Russia. Thank you. And want no part of belonging to it. Uh, you, while you were gone last week, Rob and I did the uh, podcast from New York, and I did it from a hotel. And I'm here to tell you that as much as I love New York, it was great to get back to my own house, my own bed, because my own bed has what? That's correct. It has Bolden Branch sheets. <laughs> they were scratchy at the hotel. And they, you know, and you could tell they were the kind of, if you kept washing them and using them, the hotel sheets would just evaporate, disintegrate. Unlike my wear forever Bolin brand sheets. They're not just buttery and breathable and impossibly comfortable. They get softer with every wash. Now you may ask, <clears throat> that's all well and good, James, but what is the thread count? Forget your thread count, really. I mean, Bolin branch gives you thread quality because it doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible. So when I slipped back into my bed at home, I knew, well, you know, the position of everything, the furniture, the smells, the aroma, the dog barking. I knew I was home, but that was the final little touch. You know, you're home finally when you get back to your Bowen branches. And might I add that they were the signature Hamda sheets from Bowen branch and they are a bestseller for a very good reason. Bowen branch uses the highest quality threads on the planet for a superior softness and a better night's sleep. They feel buttery to the touch, as I mentioned, and they're super breathable. So they're perfect for every season, winter, hot, whatever. They did not get 10,000 stellar reviews, over 10,000 stellar reviews for no reason. No, when you got the best sheets on the market, people notice. They are so confident. In fact, you're going to love them that Bolden Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and free returns and all your orders. So head on over to Bolden Branch to get total, complete, and utter sleep satisfaction. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code RICOCHET at BolandBranch.com. That's Bolden Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code RICOCHET. And we thank Bolden Branch for sponsoring this the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast Yoram Hazoni, president of the Herzl Institute in Jerusalem and chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation. One, his 2018 The Virtue of Nationalism book was selected as the conservative book of the year, and his latest, Conservatism, a rediscovery, was released earlier this week. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Obvious question from the title of the book, what is it then that conservatives need to rediscover? Oh, well, where do we begin? Yes. Yeah, where do we begin? Exactly. Uh, the, the, I, I, I begin in the introduction by, by, by uh, taking a look at what I, what I understand to be the, the landscape uh, of political ideas in American Britain and uh, beyond. Um, since 2020, I think that, that uh, the, the old hegemony of liberal ideas that was established after World War II has crumbled, uh, woke neo-Marxism, or you know whatever you prefer to call it, uh, is making its bid to replace liberalism as sort of the hegemonic force. And the question is: Is there a a distinctive uh, thing called conservatism uh, whose focus is on uh, issues of what what it, what it would take to actually conserve and transmit? Um, great and important things from from past generations on into the future uh, i i think it's pretty pretty clear that that the various forms of liberalism 
um, you know, which have all, all sorts of things going for them, but but they are extremely um, distant from thinking about questions of what it would take to conserve and transmit things. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the collapse of liberalism in the face of the, the, the woke onslaught um, should tell us something about about liberal ideas and about the uh, the, the 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 kind of um, uh, institutional structures that that have been created by by, by liberals, they they it, they don't seem to have the capacity to last in the face of this, and so we need something new. And what I'm proposing is that conservatism, understood not as a you know a variant of liberalism, but understood as a uh, a traditional Anglo-American. Uh, political philosophy, which places uh, conservation and transmission at the center of it, uh, needs to get a new look. Do you think that Western liberalism was unable to stand up to what you call woke neo-Marxism because it had simply opened the door to anything? It had simply said that these old ideas have to be reformed, they have to be remade. And once they've done that, the landscape shifts and anybody who comes along with a more interesting and radical and egalitarian idea naturally has more credibility. They just or 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 was there something is, is was there something about the liberal ideas themselves that could not compete and might be folded into a new definition of conservatism because they're old ideas that have been now placed on the trash heap. Well, the, the original forms, the, the original forms of liberalism, uh, you know, the, the 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 old Enlightenment forms, which is, still have a lot of purchase, I think, um, they, they uh, explicitly assumed uh, that. Uh, that human human beings can reason, and and that everybody who reasons uh, is is in in a mature and serious way will come to the same conclusion. So this this kind of uh, original assumption that uh, liberalism just is a universal truth, and that reasoning people will come to it. The problem with this is is that 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 when you try it, it's, it turns out to be false. If you set up universities that allow competition from um, people who are reasoning according to Marxism, then it, it, it turns out that a whole lot of people use, you know, they exercise reason and they, 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 they come out being neo-Marxists. And uh, so the, 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 uh, the, the, the part of the liberal, um, the part the, the aspect of the liberal theory that says all we need to do is reason ends up being quite revolutionary because it, 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 it doesn't provide resources for, for someone to say, um, look, without tradition, uh, we don't have any way of, of maintaining anything. And, and, and the, then we, we, we need to think about uh, how tra- traditions are transmitted. And, and as soon as you start doing that, it'll turn out that, uh, that maintaining traditions either, you know, either at the, the, the local level or the national level or in the family or in the congregation, maintaining traditions means restricting, restricting freedom in, in some way or another. So th- there actually is a trade-off between uh, liberalism and, and conservatism. And that trade-off is uh, in, in Anglo-American conservatism has, it has, has just not been discussed very much over the last two generations. It, and, and, and now we'd better. Hey, James, I've, I had Yoram to myself earlier this week. We recorded an episode of Uncommon So you know Knowledge. what to ask, Peter. So go Well, right, go actually, ready. I have second questions now. I have second thought <laughs> questions now. But I don't, I, I want to, you come in, James, you come in any old time you want. I've, I can 
I can ask my follow-on. These are in the nature of follow-on questions because I've been pondering things for the last couple of days. Um, so, Yoram, here's one way. I tried this out on Chris Demuth a couple, I guess he and I were chatted about. We found ourselves sitting next to each other at a dinner six weeks or so ago. Chris Demuth, longtime director of AEI, now at the Hudson Institute, sophisticated conservative major figure beginning in the Reagan year, beginning even before the Reagan years and, and throughout. And he is now a big ally of Yoram Hazoni to, honestly, to the surprise of many people, Krista Muth has embraced national conservatism. Okay, so I said, Chris, am I mostly correct that national conservatism seeks to conserve the founding principles of this country with, however, the difference that certain aspects of the founding that the founders themselves were able to take for granted, we must now make explicit and emphasize and insist upon. As, for example, the importance of borders. As, for example, every one of the founders understood and was deeply read in the Bible the scriptural tradition, as, for example, traditional morality. Some of the founders had difficulties with their family life, but they all understood marriage as between man and woman, the fundamental family structure that until just a few years ago was unquestioned. They were able to take all, these were all assumed. Even the English language, of course, they assumed that they would, that the business of government, the business of the nation would take place in English. We can't assume those anymore. We have to make them explicit. So said I to Demuth, Chris, have I got that mostly correct? And Chris said, mostly correct. Yoram? Well, first of all, I, I, I definitely agree with everything you just said. And uh, uh, it, it... Good start. Good start. It used to be um, that, that, that the view you just articulated was, was uh, pretty common uh, among conservatives i mean to to take uh, one one example irving crystal um uh, said you, you know the, the almost word for word which what what you're saying in in his you know his big famous essay on on uh uh on adam smith and edmund burke and uh the the um basically the 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 posture that he sets up is uh is liberalism could make sense in the generation generation of adam smith the problem is that they they just didn't know what we know like we, we we've seen um uh romanticism and neo-paganism and nazism and communism and and, and every last one of these th these things has its you know has its uh uh, articulate defenders among you know uh, uh, among people who are reasoning brilliantly, and uh, and at this point in history, Irving Crystal said a generation ago, w we understand that uh, without the family and without religion and uh, without without you know independent nations, all all of this liberalism is you know, it, it, it's finished. It, ha it has no future. So th that was his view. The one thing that I would add to this, um, you know, maybe interpreting Chris's uh, um, uh, saying that this is, this is almost right, is that um, th there, there is an argument 
um, uh, sort of an ongoing argument about the extent to which the American founding uh, was liberal. And, uh, and since, you know, my own view, this is not, I'm, I'm not speaking for all national conservatives on this, but, but my, my own view is that, uh, that the American founding has to be uh, re- regarded as as having taken place in in the tension between uh, two different schools of thought, one of which is uh, the Jeffersonian one is more is more liberal, and one of which the 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 party of uh, Washington and the fe- Federalists is more more traditionalist and conservative. And um, you know, as as soon as you put it that way, then uh, then then you have to ask yourself when when did America come to be associated exclusively with with liberalism mm, and i i, I think right, the, right. i think the answer to that question is after world war ii mm-hmm. that that's 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 why liberalism comes to mean things like um you know uh, banning god and prayer and scripture uh from 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 the school system that that you know that would have been inconceivable um in 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 earlier generations but after world war ii it becomes uh, th- there is a new ideology, a new kind of liberalism. You are, well, can after, you, go ahead, James. I promised you and I meant it. You come in anytime you'd like. <laughs> after World War II, didn't you have an institutionalized, bureaucratic, technocratic, best and the brightest that had just come out of the war? That even though you may have had a Republican administration, you had the idea that we were going to run the country by by this sort of this organization that knew what they were doing, the experts, the authorities. Um, which fell apart and, you know, over the decades has been shown to be utterly unsuitable for the task. But they see what you're saying. But what Peter mentioned as the definitions of Christian nationalism, or I'm sorry, of nationalism, these are hard sells these days, aren't they? I mean, the majority of the country may say, yes, we should speak English. We should have a good idea who's coming into the country. The family is a foundational part of society. But you have the general zeitgeist to the culture, the wind that seems to fill the cultural sails on the, on the coasts are people who believe that in every one of those ideas, even though they themselves may personally practice them or believe in them, they believe that they're a kernel of something that is intrinsically rotten in America. That when you talk about immigration, actually it's xenophobia and nativism. When you talk about the family, it's actually a sort of homophobic, Christophobic, patriarchal imposition. When you talk about language, again, xen- I mean, we be- these things seem obvious to us, but they've already been pre-branded in the intellectual marketplace of today as signs that somebody is 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 of the old school that ought to be swept off the national stage so that the new enlightened people can 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 come in. Or is it possible that we can repack repackage these ideas in a way that's palatable to the modern to the modern culture? Well, I. I think everything you just said is true. I think I, I, I think that. Okay, we'll stop the podcast right here. Thank you very much. Been- <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. You said everything I said was true too. This is this is getting too easy, Yoram. Look, gentlemen, you're going to have to try harder if you want me to disagree with you. I, 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 <laughs> just, what can I say? You're just being too reasonable. Um, I, I no, I, ju- I, I think it's simply a fact that that uh, uh, that the Bible, the family. God, the you know the nation, nationalism, uh, the Constitution. I mean, you could just keep going on. I, uh, 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 the common law tradition. I mean, you know, every one of these things is th- are, are are things that uh, if you if you um, if you if if you look at the uh, uh, the revolutionary the cultural revolution that's taking place 
it 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 sees all of these things as not just passe, but uh, but but uh, the enemy, the immoral, enemy. immoral. It, There's a moral, immoral, co- immoral <clears throat> illegitimate, immoral, and politically speaking, illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's absolutely true. That's what, that is what's coming out of, uh, out of like the, 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 the machinery of culture generation, uh, in, in America and in Britain and in other countries. Okay. Well then and, I, I will try to give you something that you, you can disagree with or, or work with here. Cause unfortunately you're right. We're all on the same page and that's a big problem here. We need some fire and some passion, some argument. Uh, I'll say this then that it is in, that in a post religious America, as we seem to be moving towards, that the opportunity to restore traditional Christianity, traditional religion, as a moral foundation for the country is done. Forget about it. It's not going to, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen there. Well, you know, um, the trend is going in that direction, uh, but I'm, I'm very skeptical of trends. I, I, I just think we're terrible at, 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 at seeing the future there's you know how many people how many people saw that 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 the soviet union was going to collapse you know there was there was like two guys peter not me (laughs) there there were there were maybe two or three 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 guys out of like ten thousand who were paid to to know what was going to happen and and didn't and you can the same thing is true with the 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 renewal of nationalism in the trump and and brexit years the 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 collapse of the housing bubble uh you know you get to make a movie of the four guys who got rich because they saw it coming but everybody else didn't and and the same thing is true with with uh with this upheaval in 2020, which le- left le- left uh, neo-Marxists um, on 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 the verge of hegemony in the cultural institutions of America, no no nobody knew that was about to happen. So I I, I want to be um, humble, which I, I mean I think is just realistic. I, I I don't think we know what's going to happen, and so uh, I I see the trends just like you see them. I, 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 I think if we keep going in the direction that we're going, and, and maybe that's the most probable thing, then, then this is all finished and, and uh, America becomes completely unrecognizable in the coming years w- without any hope of you know, restoration. But I, I, I don't, I, I, because we're not good at seeing the future, I, I think that, that uh, we absolutely have to do our best to organize uh, a plausible path of resistance that can uh, that that can under um, uh, uh, certain conditions succeed, and uh, what what I've been what I've been proposing in 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 this book and in discussions with um, with uh, Christian friends, Protestants and Catholics in America is that um, that there there still are states in the United States where it's possible to muster a pro Christian uh, majority, uh, maybe even a Christian majority, but a pro-Christian, a, a, a coalition that would uh, that sees this uh, woke neo-Marxist wave coming, and understands that the only way to defeat it is with another power, with a powerful counterforce, and that powerful counterforce is not going to be liberalism circa 1985, which is already lost. My 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 proposal is that that those states, those regions. Um, where where such a coalition is possible, they should move from 
simply being uh, a Christian yes man to, li- to, to, to liberal democracy and propose conservative democracy, which is, you know, some, some version, an updated version of what existed in America prior to World War II. And uh, th- there are places where that still has the, the ability to succeed. And if um, a, uh, a, a, a new Christian public philosophy uh, proves itself as being something that's capable of tolerance and capable of building coalitions and capable of compromise and of running a better society than, than the one that we're headed in, into, then there's some, some hope of it being adopted. Yoram, this kept tripping me up when we talked the other day. So I'm going to ask again. Liberalism is a, is a tricky word for us Americans. I'm including you because, of course, you grew up in this country and you know the country extremely well, even though you live in Israel now. So on the one hand, liberal, liberal can mean the classical liberal who believes in the very limited state and an emphasis on the kind of sovereignty of the individual. Margaret Thatcher often referred to herself as a classical liberal, but early in the post-war period, certainly by the 1980s, liberal in this country came to mean someone in favor of the big state, uh, the kind of ongoing sexual revolution. The weird thing is that these terms almost came to mean opposites. So let me ask you this, and you've said several times now that the trouble started after the Second World War. What was Ronald Reagan? What kind of figure was he? Ronald Reagan was an an intuitive old school conservative who was heading a movement that was dominated by liberals. uh, That uh, Matt Continetti, we we had a conversation about about uh, about this 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 week in New York, and and Matt Continetti emphasized that look. you can't draw the lines that sharply because there are plenty of things that are liberal about somebody like Reagan. And I completely agree with that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, that, by the, the way, I didn't mean that tendentiously. I'm just using Reagan to, so that we can understand what you mean. I, I'm just, honestly, I'm just asking you no, to sort so, of clear so up I'm, your here, use I, of the I, term. I'm, I'm telling uh, here, I, I, I don't think I can make it clearer, clearer than this. Okay. Ir- Irving Crystal, Irving Crystal defined modern conservatism um, I, I think reasonably, as consisting of three pillars: um, religion, nationalism, and economic growth. Of which, of which he considered religion to be by far the most important of the three. And I think that that Reagan, if you know, asked, "Does this make sense to you?" would have said, "Yes." Uh, Irving is uh, is expressing eloquently uh, my, my intuitions. I see it that way too. And and by the way, I, I also think that that Thatcher would have agreed to it. And the the um, uh, the what's confusing about this is that um, most it, it turns out like we, we didn't know it at the time during the Reagan Thatcher years that the the struggle over against communism abroad and socialism at home that it was um, instead of leading to a victory for that kind of uh, old school Irving Crystal, uh, Ronald Reagan conservatism. It in fact was just kind of a front for a, 
a big liberal internationalist movement, which as soon as Reagan and Thatcher are gone, it, it seizes power in, in, in conservative circles uh, as soon as Reagan and Thatcher are gone. And, and uh, Thatcher is actually deposed because of her nationalism. I mean, in part, it's you know, her mm. Bruce speech. It's saying, no, we're not going to enter the EU and, and give away our sovereignty. That, that's a big part of the reason why, why Thatcher's ministry ended. And uh, with Reagan, the, the same thing. Reagan leaves the stage and George H.W. Bush begins talking about uh, the, the new world order in which the rule of law is going to replace the rule of the jungle. You know, a hundred years we've we've struggled in order to to attain that, but now it's at hand. This is utopian crazy stuff. It's not conservatism. And it is strictly- can, can I ask you then to address for our listeners and for me? All I say for our listeners, what I really want is you to answer my questions, Yoram. Right. So how do you, how would you describe George W. Bush? Because, as you know perfectly well, all the mainstream media today would describe George W. Bush without hesitation as a conservative. In fact, they might even describe him as a member of the extreme right. What does George W. Bush stand for in your schema? Yeah, that, that, but, but that... I think you're right, but it's it, it, it's so tendentious. I mean, what? Are yes, they, that's I'm, right. What, what, what are they? Why is he extreme right? He's extreme right because because he uh, b, b, because he uh, likes warfare in their eyes because he likes warfare and because he he, he talks like a Christian. But I I I think that he he is the the um, uh, the uh, pinnacle of. Uh, liberalism run amok okay and it's it's fair to call him a fusionist it's fair to say look he's privately conservative but he's publicly liberal but but his 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 agenda his freedom agenda his worldwide rule of liberant liberal internationalism is it it just is liberalism so the notion, I, I, in, the notion from the second inaugural address, which I can only paraphrase, not quote, but it's a pretty close paraphrase, that the United States cannot be safe as long as there is tyranny anywhere in the world. Right, right. You know, so so that 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 is um, at the American founding that there was this this argument about whether uh, whether Americans should support the French in their call to. Destroy to bring down to 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 uh, urge urge rebellion and destruction in every every country uh, of every government on the face of the earth that doesn't live up to the ideals of the French Revolution, and Jefferson and Paine were on they were on that they were, side they were they, in for the project they, they were in for the project and George Washington when he becomes president he he uh, in his famous Thanksgiving address he says we wish. Uh, well-being and God's blessings for every government on the face of the earth. That's that's the conservative view. Not we're not in this in order to run worldwide worldwide liberal revolution. We're we're in this in order to secure our own interests and 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 we'll fight when we have to to secure our own interests. Okay, I've got one more question. Then I'm going to insist that James get back in. But here's the question, Yoram. I have now talked to you twice, three times if you count the lunch we had after our we recorded a show. You're a lovely human being. You're appealing in every way. You're intelligent, refined, lovely in conversation. The father of nine children, which to, wait, wait, can I tell my wife this? Wait, wait a second. Yeah, no, no. I'll, I'll put down. it. I'll, I'll put it in writing. I'll put it in writing. 
And yet you drive a lot of people crazy and a lot of people who are, who, who are otherwise perfectly reasonable and appealing people themselves. So, for example, you mentioned Matt Continenti. I know that you and Matt are friends, but Matt wrote, actually he was attacking a piece that Chris DeMuth published in the Wall Street Journal, and Matt wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal saying that he would take his conservatism without uh, an adjective. That is, he's no national conservative, he's a conservative. And he said that at the recent National Conservatism Conference, this is about three conferences ago when you had a big conference in Orlando, there were just too many speakers who were trying to say that what was good for Hungary, where we have a prime minister who's widely condemned as authoritarian. What was good for Hungary would be good for the United States. So you're being accused of trying to sneak into the American program, this kind of dark European conservatism. That's one side. Here's the other side. Sohrab Akmari put up a tweet. I'll bet you haven't seen it. It's two hours old. I just noticed this as we were preparing to go. Did you see it? I saw the it. Same, I'm online. This, all right. So he says the same old <laughs> alliance this is just before we started re getting ready to, to yeah. record this. The same old alliance between the right wing of American capital, Euro-Atlantic hawks, and wispy traditionalists, except, get this, this time we call it national conservatism. So Continenti is saying, Yoram, you're a bad guy because you're trying to sneak this dark European Christian. There may be, you know, Matt, there may be even a suggestion that's anti-Semitic, that conservatism into the United States. And Sorab says, Yoram, you're a bad guy because you're trying to dress up the same old thing. Why do you so arouse such ire? <laughs> uh, look, I hold I, you responsible for your critics. I, I, uh, I spent a few hours in, in conversation uh, with with Matt this week, a la th this this past week, and right. next next week there's going to be a, a, a another book launch event with him and me and Kevin Roberts, the the head of the Heritage Foundation in in, uh, in DC, and I I don't think that Matt holds the position that you're you're attributing to him. I, so I I, I, I well I'm he switched because I'm just I, I'm paraphrasing I'm something you put in print. But go no, ahead. I I. I, I I understand. I spoke to him immediately after he put it into print, and I, I, I think that it's, I, I, it's, it's not being interpreted um, correctly. I, right. I, let, let's leave Matt aside. He's just, okay. he, he, he's a good friend. I'll, I'll go further. Um, he, he, he's actually uh, helped me with, with, uh, with the construction of some things in my books. I'm not saying that that means he, he agrees with everything in my books, but it. it, it, it he 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 is he, he's a model of somebody who um, is willing to collaborate across all sorts of imaginary lines that people are drawing in the sand. I will and, agree with you about right, that. So I just I, I I just want to leave him aside. But right. if you want to set up this structure, let let's take somebody like uh, like uh, Annie Applebaum or 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 uh, 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 Jonah Goldberg, who's uh, who who was. Uh, attacking us just today. The, the, I mean, the, there's plenty of people who are who are wrinkling their noses and saying, uh, you know, you guys, you guys are importing Europeanism and un-Americanism. The, 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 there's a whole um, school of liberal thought in America, which uh, which is taking which like loves that rhetoric. And then there's Sorab, who uh, was. Uh, 
um, was on the side of uh, neo, the neoconservatives for uh, a few years uh, when when he was a protege of Brett Stevens, when he was uh, a, a leading author for uh, John Podharitz at Commentary Magazine. He wrote essays like, you know, the um, uh, 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 illiberalism, the worldwide crisis. And and he and he was so so in those days, Saurabh was you know attacking us from from the left and saying, um, "Oh my gosh, you know, like like Putin, uh, 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 Hitler is Putin, and Putin is Orban, and Orban is Trump, and Trump is 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 uh, Hazoni, and Hazoni is Chris Demuth, and you're all you know like th- that kind of thing." And uh, and today, Saurabh is uh, uh, after spending a couple of years uh, collaborating with uh, with national conservatives in in a very very warm, constructive, uh, uh, humble, and decent way. Uh, now he's a new venture. He's uh, partnered with uh, with Marxists in in a new publication, and unfortunately, he, he he's beginning to sound a little bit like a Marxist, and um, you know. Well, gentlemen, let's set these internecine quarrels apart until we win the revolution, and then we can start devouring our own, is what I say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my last question would be um, this. Aesthetics. There's an, there's an element to aesthetics, to, to the, the way the culture views beauty, that is profoundly conservative and is held, I think, by most people. When people think of a college, they think of the columns and the ivy. When they think of a great American skyscraper, they don't think of some abstraction, some nonsense that rises 70 stories and affronts the eye. When they think of music, they think of the stuff that accompanies the movies that they love. When they think of a book, they're not thinking of some William Burroughs automatic writing. They're thinking of something with a plot and the rest of it. Perhaps one of the ways in which we can get people more onto our side is to tell them they're already conservative when it comes to the things that give them life pleasure and meaning. Uh, but the right today doesn't seem to talk about that much. Is it simply because we have too many other things in our plate and this, the, the pretty stuff can come later? Uh, or are we just leaving, uh, you know, a useful weapon unused in the quiver? And I'll, I'll, I'll end with that and then we'll let you go. Well, uh, there's a big space that, uh, that Roger Scruton uh, created uh, for for that kind of conversation, and and uh, with his passing, the space is uh, kind of empty. It's 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 for it, it it's for sure true. Uh, I I don't you know I don't I I don't feel myself um, uh, competent to uh, to to enter into discussions of aesthetics in a you know in a in a serious professional way. Uh, I. I support it. I think it's a great idea, but um, I, I have my hands full on other fronts. So, um, and, and one of those other fronts, of course, is the book Conservatism. Conservatism, a rediscovery, which is beautifully designed. It looks good. So aesthetically, you got everything covered. There. Yeah. It's very nice. Yoram Hazoni, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today. We hope to talk again. And remember, Uncommon Knowledge with Peter Robinson, we'll have an extensive interview uh, with more to say. Thank you. Okay, sure. Thank Yoram, you very thanks much. so much. Yep, bye. You know, um, when I mentioned the architecture, when people think of you know skyscrapers, they're more likely to think of the Empire State Building, aren't they, Peter? Than they are some some real modern, strange thing which seems to be from some alien culture. So, so explain that to me. Unless I'm stepping inadvertently, I'm stepping on a segue, and you're headed you to an ad. No, you know you are. I'm, gu- I'm, gui- I'm guiding you into it gently. Uh, okay. So why is it now that in you just came from New York and I listened right. to the show that you and Rob did 
I'm sorry to say that I really enjoy the shows that I'm not on. It's a <laughs> remarkable thing. But it is still the case to me, to my mind. I'm wondering whether it's just generational because my father took me to the top of this building when I was a little kid. But there are many buildings in the, on the island of Manhattan now that are taller than the Empire State Building. And yet somehow or other, the Empire State Building, I think, still is in people's minds. Mm -hmm. As as the skyscraper, the American skyscraper, is that right, or am I just kind of sort of? It may be generally it may be generally rational, but I think you're right because it is to use the dreaded word iconic. There's no other building except yes. the twin towers that the ape stood upon, and the twin towers are gone. It has the massing of a classic New York skyscraper, which exists for zoning reasons, which is interesting, which goes back to a building right. that before zoning backs. that. It, the, the setback with the setbacks, and I visited the building actually that caused the setback law. I sort of made a pilgrimage there. You're right. It's also because it's whoa, whoa, in which building was that? The equitable, one of the equitable, the equitable of like 1912 or something like that. It was huge, okay. tall, massive buildings, two filing cabinets, and because it cast shadows for blocks, they said we can't have this again. So they mandated the stepbacks, which then spilled and rippled out into every city in America that had that didn't have any of those problems, but it created the New York skyscraper style. Also, the uh, Empire State Building is on 34th, so it's Midtown. It commands its territory, right. like few That's others. True. Whenever, That's when true. everything's a forest and you can't tell what's what, but it's also because it's the summation of a style in it in, in in its simplicity and in its height and its breadth the rest of it it defines a style so it's that chrysler and a few others um come to mind one of the things that fascinated me about where i was staying down in the financial district or fideis i'm sure nobody there calls it was the number of just absolutely rote banal emery roth skyscrapers that are the same damned thing over and over again here's a black box mm. here's a black box on top of it and the rest and when you see so much gilded age, 19th century, early 20th century, small scale, by small scale, I mean New York, commercial architecture side by side with this, you realize how much was lost. You're grateful for how much is still there. But right. you realize that if people had a choice now, do we want an endless number of black featureless boxes, madman style, marching up and down the blocks, or do we want something with brick and a face and a carving and the rest of it? And people are drawn to the latter. It's not that they hate the modernity, it's just that too much of it destroys a place and rips the history and soul out of it. So I spent about 80% of my trip uh, to New York uh, not going to the theaters. I didn't even get into a museum this time. I spent it all just walking around, looking at my old friends, the buildings. And that's that. That's what I went to do. Good for you, but you know, 93% of your life, you out there listening to this, 93% of your life is spent indoors. I was outdoors for 80%, but you and me finally do 93% indoors. But you know, so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. And I don't just mean walking around looking at things. It's the fresh air, the feeling of peace. Well, since warmer weather is almost here, well, kind of sort of is, let's make the most of the outdoors with outer, outer, the new, new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials, by the way. And it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover that makes protecting it effortlessly. And having lost a few nice pieces to, uh, to the wind and the elements, I think this is a great idea. Teak chairs, fire pit tables, everything Outer makes has the look and feel of what you'd expect from a five-star resort for less than you'd pay at the big box store for something that won't last. No, Outer's better in every way because they've spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space. Life-proof material with a nano-coating that's water, mold, bleach, and stain resistant, and triple memory foam cushions that are comfier than most indoor sofas. It's the... Uh, how 
Come, nobody thought about this before. Invention that made Shark Tank's Lori Grenier and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest in outer. They have over a thousand neighborhood showrooms across the country to see the outer difference in person. And you just have to visit the outer's virtual showroom to see it for yourself online. They have stunning displays that'll inspire the feng shuiest in you. Outdoor furniture comes with best in-class warranties, like 10 years for their chic aluminum line, and a two-week free trial with free returns. You can see the difference at liveouter.com slash ricochet. Plus, for a limited time, get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere, only available to podcast listeners, and only for a limited time. So get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com slash ricochet liveouter.com slash ricochet terms and conditions apply and we thank outer for sponsoring this the ricochet podcast well peter you were in israel and elsewhere and people are dying to know what you thought about this um give us a brief price a little description of your peregrination <laughs> it's a tiny country <clears throat> so jammed with experience that it's difficult to be brief about it but we spent the first two-thirds or so of the trip with jewish friends and in the north of the country, mainly in the north of the country. And we were there on Holocaust Memorial Day. And so, of course, what you see, but it's different seeing it. There we are, Holocaust Memorial Day, 10 o'clock in the morning, everything stops. I mean, traffic on the freeways stops. And sirens sound across the country for two minutes, and everyone simply stands in silence. Well, that has an effect. We were also, we went up to the Golan Heights, way, way up, just a couple of hundred yards from the border with Lebanon. And there on the other side of the border, what's flying? Not Lebanese flags, Hezbollah flags. And we were given a kind of security briefing. So you have on the one hand this memory of the unthinkable and you have on the other hand right there right across the border an iranian-backed not militia but army hamas is is a kind of informal militia not informal it's a militia but hezbollah we were told and i'm in no position to gainsay what we were told hezbollah is an army it's trained it's equipped it's disciplined and it's right there on our last evening in the country we were having dinner on a rooftop restaurant and there was an air raid siren and after a tense moment or two the siren continues but the israelis go back to enjoying their dinners it is quite a place to be the um that was the first two-thirds or so our last we we, we then went on our own my wife and i went on our own to jerusalem for three days and um the crusaders were onto something in the following sense they really understood the importance of the places so to go to the church of the holy sepulcher and to celebrate mass as we did catholic but there's a chapel for catholics there's a different place for the orthodox and yet a different place where the copts egyptian and and ethiopian copts were celebrating it's allowed there's a noise everywhere but to celebrate mass just feet just 10 feet from the place where for 2000 years people believe christ was crucified is um it changes things it makes i've i've considered myself a christian almost all my life i think i was an atheist for two weeks once in college <laughs> but when you are right there 
you have to make up your mind because the claim that this really happened right there at one specific place at one moment in time either it really happened or it's all just another wishy-washy lovely kind of fairy tale uh so there, there's um and all and we went to uh, well i could go on and on and i won't so let me just say that it was i thought that going to israel would be I don't know. I thought Jerusalem in particular, I thought would be like reading a book, might sort of deepen my faith, might be interesting in a kind of, I don't know, might do something that adjusted my thinking by 10%. And in fact, it's just a, it is a massive experience, just a massive experience. Challenged my faith and deepened it at the same time, but in, in both regards more than I, more than I would ever have thought uh, possible. There. What do we do with that? How do you find a lighthearted? Where's Rob when we need a lighthearted uh, out? Well, it's my turn to talk about New York, where I say that I oh, had a go! good hamburger yes. that I enjoyed. <laughs> Compared to that, for heaven's sakes, you know, it's it, it, well, it, you know, New York doesn't have the longevity and the age and the spiritual traditions and grounded foundations of Jerusalem. No, uh, so there's no comparison. But on the other hand, people were going to the meetup for a social event. I don't think anybody goes to these places of great spiritual importance for a social event, right? No, so we're true, we're true enough. Different, true enough. Different, different pages. The fun part was actually finding out where we were supposed to meet because Rob had told us it's the winery, not the vineyard, or is it the vineyard but not the winery? City winery, no, no, city vineyard, not city winery. And so I get there with a long-standing ricochet member, hi James, and uh, it's the vineyard, and there's nobody there. And then we look at the signs, and it says. City Vineyard by City Winery. So it's the same place, or is it not? Or does by winery mean that it is adjacent to, or that City Vineyard is brought to you by the distinct separate entity, Vineyard, which is over there? In the meantime, somebody comes up and realizes that this, this is Ricochet and recognizes me and uh, says she's got an oh, email from Oh, you were she's, recognized in Manhattan. I, yeah, I was. Indeed, it was a, it's, you can't ask for more. And uh, she says that she has an email from the other group that we're meeting with that says they've moved everything to the Brass Monkey, which is about a mile up north. So now everything's <laughs> completely falling apart and it's beginning to rain. And Rob isn't here. That's the near year of the day. The great thing is that it was only on the way upward from then. And we ended up with a huge room with lots of people talking, talking, talking. Great, fantastic conversations with Ricochet members, as you can well imagine. Now, if you're sort of on the fence or not even on the fence, you're looking at the fence with long range binoculars and saying, I'm not even going to get on it and join. No, I'm never going to join for this thing. Hey, listen, here's the great thing. You may think, oh, do I really? Why would I want to sit in a room with a bunch of people and talk politics? I don't think I talked politics once. We talked Freudian psychology. I had a fascinating conversation about 70s movies with a member. I was talking with Franco about uh, Genesis and progressive rock. I was talking to the guy next to me about Brazilian politics. I was talking to somebody else about uh, television and Star Trek and mystery science. All, I mean, the conversation is all over the road because everybody brings something different to Ricochet and everybody has their own little piece of information and expertise. And it was just fun to get together and talk and shout and share, you know, not swear, share and drink, which I didn't do much because it was three, four o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't want to become, you know, utterly socially fabulous at 
five. Uh, but the end, you know, we ended up, I think I left at 1030 from Robert De Niro's bar and walked through a magical, misty Manhattan of the sort that you only mm. see in Woody Allen mm. movies with the, the tops of the skyscrapers lost in the fog and the lights twinkling and the, the wet pavement glistening and reflecting the lights of the subs, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the way the street light just glints in the blade of the man who's holding you up in the alley. Uh, I'm kidding. There aren't many alleys in New York. It was great. It was fantastic. And we're going to be having another one, I understand, soon. you got to join Ricochet. Do it, though, and it's worth it. It's cheap. Here's what's coming up. Save the date for this. Ricochet's own, well, I wouldn't say own. He's ours, but he, you know, he's kind of promiscuous in his affiliations. Byron York. The Byron York Show. Uh, the Byron York Show will be recorded live at Hillsdale's Washington, D.C. campus with Federalist Editor-in-Chief and Fox News contributor Molly Hemingway. Yay, next month. Join them Wednesday, June 15th at 6 p.m. for what should be a very fun evening with two conservative superstars. More sign-up details are going to come very soon. I'd love to make it. Maybe, I don't know. Gosh, my wonder June was what? this year. What day? June 15th. June 15th. It's a month away. Coming to these events is another great reason to join Ricochet. You can sign up today at ricochet.com. Join and get 14 days for free and figure out if it's for you. You may go in the member feed and say, these people are crazy. That guy's kind of fun. That guy's sane. But these, and then you go in the member feed and say, my people. I mean, it, it, it all depends. There's so many personalities, so many styles, so many moments, so many ways to enjoy Ricochet. And I have to tell you, just meeting everybody was fantastic. It really was. And so thanks for coming. Uh, you know what? Rob, I think will be, I don't know if he's joining us next week or so. Uh, it'll be a while before we're all three here back together, which would mean, you know, another 107 minute podcast. But what do you say, Peter? <laughs> I think this this might be one we bring in an under an hour. We there's so much more no, we can talk about. No. But on the other hand, we could like get out at a reasonable podcast time, and uh, and and one for the books, one that is we not. Could- you know, Dan Carlin length. I mean, when Dan Carlin goes our length, he's discussing the entirety of World War II. We're just uh, babbling on about this and that. Hey, I hate to interrupt here. And you know how that's like sometimes that you're talking to somebody and then somebody else barges in like that. We all hate that. We all hate it even more. If somebody comes in, they're talking close to you, like you're at some social event, you get a whiff of what they used to call the old, uh, you know, halitosis. Oh, no fun. Well, some people really don't worry about that because they know they have good oral care. Good health. It starts with good habits, like good oral care, and Quip. Quip makes it easy. They deliver the oral care essentials you need to care for your mouth. Well, let's talk about the electric toothbrush. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths. I'm one of them. And it's got time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. It's got a lightweight, sleek design for adults and for kids. No wires, no bulky charger to weigh you down. A multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter. I used that on my recent trip to New York. And reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues, including the best-selling all-black or all-pink as well as bright plastic colors to make sure they have a pop to your bathroom counter. Are you on top of your brushing? Well, you can upgrade your Quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with a free Quip app. You can even earn amazing rewards like free refills and products, target gift cards, and more with that app. Wow, that's something new to add to your toothbrushing routine. But beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to maintain a complete routine. Try the sugar-free refillable gum. It has long, lasting mint flavor, comes with a dispenser, and the refillable mouthwash that's at four times concentrate. Plus, it's good for you, and it's good for the planet. Quip delivers it all every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. With stylish and affordable electric brushes starting at just 25 bucks, 
you will not be paying through the teeth for better oral care. If you go to getquip.com slash ricochet right now, this very moment, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash ricochet. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash ricochet. Quip, the good habits company. And we thank Quip for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. James, we can't we can't wrap it just yet because I, there's a question I just have to ask. Okay. I've been thinking. I've, I've been saying to myself for the last three three days now. I've got to put this to James. And you just reminded me when you talked about the mist, the dark mm. mist of New York in the rain. That, of course, is the mood of film noir. Yes. Here's the question. Now, I'll give you the setup, and then I'll give you the question. The setup is: my wife and I were in a black and white mood two, three evenings ago. Mm-hmm. And we clicked our way and we, oh, here's a classic that we've never seen. Neither of us had ever seen Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, The Big Sleep. So we get about 20 minutes into it mm-hmm. and, our, and we're gritting our teeth and we go another 20, 25 minutes and then we just can't stand it anymore. And the question is, what was the big deal with Humphrey Bogart? So he, here were the problems that we just didn't expect. I don't even know where to begin, it, Peter. That it's the, the dialogue is talky. It's talk, 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 talk. It's the script is unbelievably confusing. New names get introduced, new suspects, new this, new that. And then Bogart, what was the big deal with him? This guy's kind of a shrunken chest. He's got bad teeth. By the time he's filmed this movie, his complexion, you can almost smell his breath from all the cigarettes he's smoked at this point in his life. He wears his tie six inches above his belt buckle. He looks ridiculous, and he also looks much too old for Lauren Bacall. How the whole country, of course, it turns out he wasn't too old. They got married in real life. Yes, but the whole thing... May I point that he may have... He doesn't work. Oh, I... So, 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 and I, I thought to myself, know, I, I, I the question is, <clears throat> what was the deal with Humphrey Bogart? Casablanca, I'll give you, but that's a one-off. It's a one. What was the deal with Humphrey Bogart? And I thought to myself, James will know. James? The real question is, what's the deal with Mr. and Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> is, the, is the deal. I don't know where to be. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on this one. I really don't. I'll, I'll grant you <laughs> that the big sleep has its moments plot wise. We, st- who, oh, I mean, they, I think, Lord. I think they, they asked, um, they asked the author, Raymond Chandler afterwards. So the deal with a car that went off the pier in the water, who was yes! that? And what was that? Right. And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Part of the problem <laughs> was that, that, that a lot of the novels that uh, the Chandler wrote were jammed together from different short stories. He'd mash them together. To you. Uh, and he came up with some great ones, which made for wonderful movies. By the way, All one of the screenwriters was William Faulkner. He's credited yes. in, the ro- in the role at the beginning. Right. And in his Barton Fink style, I imagine him you know, throwing up his liquid lunch every morning in the, uh, in the commissary. But anyway, I mean, Bogart obviously had something because, yes, as you noted, he did manage to land Bacall. So there was a certain element yes. of charisma there. And he had a, a, he had a, a, a absolutely authentic, uh, unhurried, unworried, cynical, but genuinely inhabited masculinity that resonates then and now. You, okay. take, you, you, take, you take any young man of an impressionable age and you have him watch the Maltese Falcon and he's not going to want to be... 
uh, Elisha Cook. He's not going to want to be Peter Lorre. He's not going to want to be Sydney Greenstreet. He's going to want to be Bogart because Bogart. Okay, that I'll grant. Although that's another movie that's too talky, just too much dialogue. Stop talking so much. I will say (laughs) that when Bogart speaks, when Bogart speaks, it does uh-huh. slow down. You do find uh-huh. yourself drawn in. You do listen to him. He slows down the whole scene. Everybody else is sort of 1930s, 1940s, rat tat 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 style. And right. Bogart takes a draw on his cigarette and tells you tells you what's really going on. Okay, right, I get because that. He had, I get because that he, has pre- he has presence. He has commanding presence. He can, yeah, he can okay. absolutely stop the thing cold, smoke a cigarette, give you a look through the eyes, and then just and then and slur something out and uh, in in a way that 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 just def- defines the performance. I it, it, I'm not sure you can explain these things to somebody who just who doesn't if you don't f- feel if you don't get it if it doesn't resonate and connect. There's no empirically proving. Then you're just lost. Well, right. I wouldn't say lost. Um, I would just say that um, I'm surprised it took you guys this long to get to the big sleep. Uh, we, okay, we're 45 minutes in. Are you telling me that we should just force ourselves to watch the rest? That it, that no, we'll get drawn you know, I've in never and start to come alive. Anybody, I don't think anybody should watch a movie that they don't want to watch. Um, you, right. I, my my Netflix queue. Now that I have it back from the people who spammed it and took it over, all of whom seem to be in the Philippines. Another story. Um, my next next queue is littered with movies that I just bailed on after 20 to 30 minutes because life's too short and they didn't interest me. But when it comes to there's, there, there's certain, like, for example, I was, I was watching Bosch. Did you watch Bosch? Oh, Have yes, you, yes, okay. yes. So there's a new series of Bosch, Bosch Legacy. Bosch. There's a new one on uh, Freebie, formerly IMDB TV, uh, which they are continuing the story on, um, with about one fifth of the budget. Which kind of shows? Uh, wait, wait, wait! Ele- with, with the same character with Judson Welliver playing Bosch? Uh, yes, Titus Welliver. Titus Welliver. Sorry, sorry. I, and uh, really, he's, okay. And, yeah, he, and, and he's great. He's great. I've seen one episode. It's got Mimi Rogers as Honey Chandler. Although, unlike the previous, wait, she was bl- killed. Uh, she's a prequel. She, she, she survived. No, it's not. Oh, she, she survived. Through. She survived oh, the show. Right. She was killed in the books. So, sorry, spoiler. Although the book's been out for twenty five years, um, so she now is working in, in her own practice. But it's one of those things where prior to the uh, to this, she when they had the big budget, she was working in a big glass office skyscraper. 24 is up. Now she looks to be working in the producer's study. I mean, it's, <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't have the same feel, but at the very beginning of it, there's something that is a nod to the big sleep. And one of those things that just makes you know that they're, they're respecting the basics. And you saw it, Peter, when they go, when he goes to the client's home, the client is of course, William Devane, or as we know him, JFK, because he played, you know, JFK in seemingly every movie back in the eighties or a JFK adjacent like figure. And right. William Devane is in a wheelchair, and he's all bundled up. Ah, and General the, Sternwood. The appearance of the old man bundled up, but still with vinegar, mind you, oftentimes in a hothouse because he can't get water, is a, is a classic of the genre ever since The Big Sleep. And it's repeated over and over and over and over again in noir and stories and movies and the rest of it. And it's always a nod. When the, when the private detective, which is what Bosch is now, goes to visit the old man, the old rich man in his musty old mansion, and he's in wheelchair, that's, that's right to the, that. So, yes, I, it's, 
you know, do you watch the big sleep to find out who done it? You really don't. Do you watch it to kind of understand what 40s culture had to offer, what Carmen Sternwood was up to was sort of interesting. No, you, you watch it for the performances. You watch it to go along with the ride. And I, you know, I prefer the Maltese Falcon. I think it's a better movie. I don't, but again, like you, I don't understand the appeal of Mary Astor in that one at all. I think she's the idea that she's this gorgeous femme fatale when she strikes me as anything, but, but you got to get over that because the movie is telling you just as you thought wife, I guess I'm supposed to assume that Bogart is charismatic. I can't believe I said that. I'm supposed to assume that Mary Astor is, is, is desirable, but did you know there was a sequel by the way to the Maltese Falcon? Did you know that I have seen the Maltese Falcon? I mean, I have Falcon. seen the actual, the actual Maltese Falcon. Really? Where was Steve, it? Steve Wynn Steve, in Steve Wynn's apartment when I did an interview with Steve Wynn before mm-hmm. he fell. Steve Wynn, the man who invented modern Las Vegas, mm-hmm. purchased, took me around, showed me his Picassos, and showed me he was almost proudest of all of owning the original prop used in the Maltese Falcon. Does it have the knife marks? So on it? there. Does it have the knife marks on it? Oh, I didn't look that closely. No. That would be my first question. Know. And if it didn't, I would say it's a fake, sir. <laughs> well, Wilma, shall we go? Right. And by the by the way, the the interesting thing about Maltese Falcon is the line that, that Bogart lives after he disarms uh, Elisha Cook Jr. is that the gaudier the the gaudier the guns the cheaper the the cheaper the gunzel, the gaudier the patter or something like that. Well, the term gunzel after that sort of got retrofitted and reused and converted into a term for a for you know for a gunman. But that wasn't what it was at the beginning. A gunzel was sort of somebody in prison who took, shall we say, the catamite posture, the submissive posture. So he was using a term there that was even more insulting to to you know, and the guy's name was Wilma. <laughs> more of it. But I I mean, I was watching listening the other day to an old-time radio show called uh, Michael Shane, which is one of those endless number of private eyes. This guy happens to be Irish and living in New Orleans. And somebody it, it, the whole thing had to do with a with a jewel that had been sought by many people. There was the person who showed up dead to deliver it. There was the femme fatale who was after it. There was the small effeminate man with a noticeable perfume and a violent tendency who was paired up with a large fat man named Mr. Sick who was trying to find it as well. And there was a brutish character who in this case happened to be a old sailor with a peg leg who was doing the enforcement. <laughs> it's the it's the falcon template over and over and over again. It, the resonance and the importance of that story and how it created these archetypes that would echo for 20, 30 years in popular culture. We've lost it today to the point where Marla, where, where Bosch can sit down with William Devane in a wheelchair and 99% of the audience is not thinking, ah, callback to the big sleep. But Peter, having seen the big I sleep, have two you, final points. You would have gotten it. Two final points. Final point number one is that the Sid Caesar show I must have seen this on YouTube, but there was one of these, although, of course, in this case, it was a satire, and the, and the diamond that was at the center of the little of the sketch of the drama mm-hmm. was called the Cumbersome Diamond. That's <laughs> <laughs> perfect, isn't it? And second, I just got a note from the Blue Yeti, who was with me when I filmed that episode of Uncommon Knowledge uh-huh. in Steve Wynn's apartment, and he tells me that, yes, the Maltese Falcon did have the knife marks. Well, good. He looked. Fantastic. The Blue Yeti looked. 
fantastic in that, in that very strange cutaway scene where he's chopping at it and it's it's this cut back to back to green street and it's this and it, it doesn't work it's all kind of done post in editing but it, you know who cares it's a great scene great movie great podcast great time great to have you back peter it's been a pleasure everybody and i would like to thank you for listening by the way bowl and branch outer and quip those are our sponsors we're proud of them support them for supporting us and your life will be better for it as well and might i say you could join ricochet would it kill you no, it wouldn't. And you would also get access to the upcoming member event with Byron York and Molly Hemingway. Take a minute, if you will, to leave a five-star review. Heck, take five minutes, one minute per star at Apple Podcasts. We're thankful for that because the reviews allow new listeners to discover us, which keeps this show going. If Rob were here, he'd tell you, we got sued, we need the cash. Uh, so I'll just note that you got sued, need the cash. So join everything you your, your life is now will be better with a little bit more ricochet in it. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thanks to our guest. And we'll see all of you in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, James. Ricochet. Join the conversation.